You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, Habits. The habits we make or break today will shape who we become over time. Today's teaching, we'll be discussing how we can take control through the power of Christ to put an end to the habits that will eventually bring us down. So we are in week three of this new series entitled Habits. And, uh, and it's been a good series. Last week, we talked about this idea of initiating or starting one good habit. Remember that? Show of hands, remember that? Yes. And so this week, we're talking about what it takes to break a bad habit. What is one habit that you need to break? Now, if I were to sit down with just like a, a, a select portion of our church, about 100 people or so from our church, and I was going to sit down with you, I would, I, I'm guessing that I would probably find that most of us want the same things generally, right? When it comes to goals, when it comes to things in our life, we want the same things. We, we, want good, we want to be in good health. We want good relationships. If you're a Christian, we most likely want to be close to God. Uh, we want to make a difference in the world. We want to be financially strong. We want to be generous. All that to say, I don't really know anybody who has some negative goals, like overtly negative goals. Nobody that would state a negative goal. I don't know anybody who would say like, well, you know, my lifetime goal is to struggle severely financially. That's my lifetime goal. My lifetime goal is that when my wife, when I come home from work and my wife says, hey, I'll order that off Amazon, I absolutely lose my mind and say, woman, don't you know that we can't afford that? You know, like, I love that. That's my lifetime goal. Nobody does it. Um, nobody, nobody has a lifetime goal of hoping to gain five pounds every year over the next 20 years. It's really my goal. I'd really like to end large. I just, I'm just telling you, I'd like to go out with a bang, okay? or maybe a pop. Um, nobody says, I've got a five-year goal of becoming a raging addict. I really think I've got a shot at this. If I can start now, I think I can be just really heavily addicted to something within the next five years. Nobody does that. Um, nobody, nobody does that at all. But the fact of the matter is, and let's not be extreme, let's just be now, just maybe curve it to normalcy. None of you would probably state that you desire to be in a dead-end job, and yet many of you are living passionless lives. Mm. None of us would say, I want to waste my entire life doing something I care nothing about, making absolutely no difference. And yet that's the trajectory of many people. Nobody would ever come to the end of their life and say, like, I'm really happy. You know, like, I didn't actually accomplish anything. <laughs> Nobody makes those goals, but inevitably that's where a lot of people end up. And what's so crazy interesting to me when I think about it is there's almost nobody that ruins their life because of one really bad decision. Not normally. Normally, people don't ruin their lives because of one really bad decision. The vast majority of people don't ruin their lives because of one stupid decision. The vast majority of people ruin their lives one small decision, one, small, one bad step, one bad habit, one day at a time over series of years. They end up in a really bad place. Does this make sense? Yes? And, and, and what's, what's more, they will summarize a lifetime of bad decisions in one sentence. They will, they will like put everything that they've done over the last decade, and they'll summarize somebody's life in a sentence. They'll say something like, oh yeah, she fell into sin, she committed adultery, now they're divorced. There's a decade of decisions squeezed into one sentence. 
or we'll squeeze somebody's life into one sentence. We'll say like, yeah, he started hanging out with the wrong people, he got addicted to this, and then he ended up ODing. We squeeze their entire life into this one sentence. And scripture does this too, actually. In the book of Judges, we see this, and it's one of the more interesting ones. We see these one-sentence summaries of people's lives. One-sentence summaries of people's lives. This one uh, summarizes what became a series of bad decisions for a man named Samson. Turn to your neighbor and say, Samson. Samson was a judge. He's featured in the book of Judges. And in in Samson 16, Judges 16, we read that he's a dude with incredible potential. God created him, gave him incredible influence and strength, and he had great, incredible potential gifted by God. And yet because of one bad decision, one step, one bad habit, one day at a time, he, he completely lived a life that utterly fell apart. If you know anything about the story of Samson, his life fell apart. And in Judges 16.1, we get a summary sentence of him. Let's go there. Judges 16.1, starting in verse 1, it says, Samson, read this with me, these first four words. It says, Samson went to Gaza. Let's do that one more time. Samson went to, to Gaza. Now, there's the first two words. Samson went. Samson went. So Samson went to Gaza, these first two words. And it's interesting right here because look at what it says. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went in to her. Now, what's interesting is that this one sentence summarizes the beginning of the downward trajectory for the life of this guy. This guy was incredibly gifted by God. And one day, Samson went down to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. Now, what you don't know or may, might not know, I didn't know this until I studied it, Gaza is approximately 25 miles from Zor- Samson's hometown, Zora. And Gaza uh, was the Philistine headquarters where Samson was public enemy number one. In order to go into Gaza was to put, like in order to get there, Samson had to put his life at risk. And so what we know about the time when Samson lived, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but in Samson's day, in his time, they didn't have Uber. I don't know if you know that or not. Uber was not around. And so Samson would have quite literally had to have walked 25 miles. So we could assume that the option was here, he walked 25 miles into enemy territory, into a place that could kill him, all just to get a little loving, okay? And maybe that's not the word you would like me to use. I don't know what word you want me to use, a little squeeze. I don't know what you want me to say there, but you understand what he's doing. And he's walking there. And maybe you might say like, well, who would do that? Ah, People would do a lot of things. Can we just be honest? People will go a great distance. I mean, honestly, do you know how many steps are in 25 miles? I didn't know. And because I'm a, pa- and because I'm a pastor and I only work one day a week, I have so much time during the week to look it up. I looked it up. Um, 25 miles is approximately 56,250 steps. So I would submit to you that Samson didn't lo- ruin his life uh, all at one time. It was one step at a time. In fact, it was 56,250 steps in a direction that would begin the downward spiral of his life out of control. See, most of us don't wreck our lives all at one time, do we? How do we do it? One bad decision, one wrong step, one bad habit at a time. And that's why we're talking about habits. 
That's why it's such an important topic for us today. And so today we're going to add a new question surrounding the idea of habits. And so if you are here, um, if, if you know our church, we take notes, we write things down. We're a church that worships in spirit and, and in truth. So you're like, oh, I remember my notepad. I bet you remembered your phone. You can pull that out, take some notes. We want you to take those notes, plug into a Sea Life group, our small groups. We have different ones that meet all throughout the week at different times, from the morning to the night to weekends, even Sunday evenings. And in those Sea Life groups, by the way, that's where you're going to experience real, real, real church, okay? That's where you're going to experience people around you that love you, uh, discipleship that's going to grow you, and leadership skills that are going to push you, okay? And so Sunday is just the start for us here as a church. Get plugged in. Take some notes. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. Number one. Based on who you want to become, what one habit do you need to break? Based on who you want to become, what one habit do you need to break? Last week we asked the question, based on who you want to become, what one new habit do you need to begin? This week the question is, based on who you want to become, what one habit do you need to break? What one habit is unhealthy, maybe unhelpful, perhaps ungodly, that is taking you in a direction that ultimately you do not want to go in? What one habit based on who you want to become do you need to break? I love what James says about this. James chapter 1, verse 21, he says this. I love his grammar here. He's so good. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That's some old school words right there, right? Rampant. Not just wickedness, rampant wickedness. What does that mean? It gives you this idea that like evil is running amok, running through the streets, terrorizing. That's the exact picture that James wants to give you. James elsewhere talks about sin, crouching at your door, getting ready to take advantage of you. And the picture that he's painting is of a robber hiding outside your door. When you open it a crack, it comes in and rapes you. It births in you sin that provides death. James is very graphic in his understanding of sin, but that's because he knows that all sin leads to death. And so for us today, I just have to say this, when we're talking about bad habits, we're talking about sin. Amen? Amen. And like, here's what we have to conclude. Sin, now this this is really, really deep, okay? So just hang tight. Sin is not good. Like, like ever. Like it's not okay. It's not tolerable. And the problem is we can sit in a church like this and say, yes, boom. But the fact of the matter is we tolerate sin. We actually, do you know why we still sin? We love it. We love it. When Paul says, why is it that I do the things that I don't want to do? I end up doing the very things I hate. Do you know why, Paul? It's because you love sin. Do you know why, Travis? It's because you love sin. We love ourselves. Sin is not only tolerable, it's funny. And we know that. We engage in it. And these bad habits, they're not just bad habits, they're sin. And so that's what's at stake here. And that's why James says, put away the filth, the rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. What one habit do you need to get rid of in order to become who God wants you to become? So we're going to talk about how, but we're also going to talk about what. 
What is one habit that you need to break? Here's what I want you to know. Write this down. We need to acknowledge it, and we need to define it. We need to acknowledge what that habit is, and we need to define it. You're like, I don't really know if I need to acknowledge it or define it. No, you do. You need to acknowledge it, and you need to define it, because you cannot defeat what you cannot define. And for some of you, you're like, okay, I got a couple definitions, because I got about 27 things. I get it. I know you do. I know we do. But the fact of the matter is, we're not here to solve 27 habits. We're here to get rid of one. It's kind of like we talked about last week. I went to a church camp, and I love church camps, especially when I was a student, when I was a teenager. I would go with our church. I went to a winter church camp, and man, it was like, like revival was taking place. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever been to a church camp where you're like, wow, I feel just God's presence, and we're going to change the world, and it was awesome, and I made this commitment the last night. It was the cross service. You know what I mean? Like they put a cross up front, and everybody got saved that night. Like people, I've been, I've been saved for like 12 years, and I got saved like 14 times that week. It was just so awesome. And so we went up for it, and I was like, I'm going to read through the whole Bible this, this, this year. I might even do it two or three times. I got back that Monday morning, opened my Bible, and I was like, I don't really feel like doing this today. <laughs> By week three, Genesis three, I just was like, uh, and I just ended doing it. I had good intentions, but that doesn't really matter, does it? It's not really, like, we are not what we intend to do. We are actually what we end up doing. And so for us today, I don't want you to zero in on 27 things to change. I want you to break one bad habit. One, we need to define it. We need to acknowledge it. We're going to talk about one. What's your one? You may have a problem with a bad attitude. Maybe you have a complaining heart. Maybe a gossiping tongue. Now, I know not in our church. No, not here. Uh, praise Jesus, we don't gossip about anybody. In fact, if anything, we're just letting other people know how they can better pray for this person because of what they're going through, and then we found it out from their mom who told us back there. So we're just, that's not gossip, we're just praying for people. Amen? Yeah? Okay. Um, what's the one habit you want to break? Maybe it's a technology addiction. Maybe you, you are addicted to video games, you know, maybe, maybe you're addicted to social media. Scroll, click, scroll, click, scroll, post, click, like, scroll, scroll. Even though you know that you're getting more depressed because you look at Instagram. You know that it makes, like studies show that you make, it makes you depressed. And, and you also, like, you just compare your life to everybody else's. Like, looking at Instagram makes me depressed because I follow billionaires. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm always comparing my life to billionaires' lives. Like, I'm like, why don't I have a tiger? I feel like I should have a tiger. You know, like, and I'll go to my wife and be like, hey, I really think that I deserve a tiger. And she's like, what world are you living in right now? I'm like, the real world, the real world. Like, it's just, it's just or, or how about this? Maybe, maybe some of us are addicted to binge watching Netflix. And if you're like, well, wait, hold on. How much is too much? If you're asking me that question, you have a problem with binge watching Netflix. Maybe it's your mobile device. You would, you would rather somebody take one of your arms than take your phone, literally. You're like, well, of course, yeah, because if I still have one arm, I could still like do this, right? It, it would cause you an immense amount of anxiety if I, if, like, if I took, like, in fact, how many of you have ever left work because you forgot your phone somewhere? Well, I can't live my life. I've got to go find this. We drive to the next state if you think you left it there. Like, Exactly. Maybe it's a substance, maybe it's nicotine, maybe it's a, an illegal uh, substance, maybe it's a prescription medication. I don't know what it is, 
but based on who you want to become and based on who God wants you to, to become, what one habit do you need to break? Now, let's talk about why this is difficult. And I think it's interesting. It gives us insight into how to break the, the bad habits. Have you ever noticed, <laughs> have you ever, this stinks, have you ever noticed how it, why a good habit is difficult to start, but a bad habit is, is hard to break? You ever notice that? A good habit is hard to start, and a bad habit is difficult to break. For example, a good habit is challenging at first, and then the payoff, the reward, is something in the future. You ever notice that? It's something in the future. For example, if you're going to start jogging, and you're like, I'm going to be a jogger. I'm going to become one of those people. I'm going to be a jogger. I'm going to buy really tight pants and make everybody feel awkward all the time as a man, and I'm going to do that to everybody, I'm sorry, and, uh, but it does make you feel awkward, come on, a little bit, right? Okay. You're like, I'm going to do that, I'm going to be that person, and so you like, I'm going to wake up early, and so you've got all your jogging gear, and you've got your tight pants, and you've got your jogging goggles, and your jogging wristwatch, and your jogging juice, and whatever you got, you know, and you wake up before the sun comes up, you hit your alarm, you wake up, and you're pumped, man, you did it. And you ate your egg whites and you open the door and you're like, this is going to be great. And then it's not. And then it's like not. Not only is it not good, it's like downright horrible. And you're like kind of jog and you're like, I forgot. This is awful. And then you're a half mile and you're like, I, this is, I don't like this. And then you turn around and you like kind of walk like limp back. And then you're like, well, the next day will be better. And then it turns out the next day is worse than the day before because now you're sore from what you did yesterday. And then like four days into it, you're like, this has got to get better soon, right? But it just keeps getting bad. It just, it's just worse, right? But, but in like three months in, you're like, surely at some point, I'm going to be able to breathe while I run down my drive, but it doesn't get better. It just gets worse. But then miraculously, seven months later, you wake up one morning and you've lost nine pounds. And you're like, yes, the payoff. I'm losing weight. You have the beginning stages of buns of steel. It is everything that you have hoped for and more. Amen? Yes? See, we haven't made that there yet. Yeah, right? Like, when you start a good habit, you don't immediately get the payoff. The payoff is something that is deferred. A payoff is something that is down the road. It didn't just happen in two weeks. It took some time. It's difficult at first, and the payoff is in the future. But bad habits are the complete opposite, completely the opposite. There's a perceived benefit immediately. With a bad habit, there's a perceived benefit immediately. It's fun to do what's wrong at first. Sin can be fun. How many of you would say amen? And if you're not raising your hand, because you're like, I'm not going to raise my hand to say sin is fun at church. If you don't think sin is fun, A, you're not doing it right, or B, you're a liar. Because sin is fun. Scripture talks about it. It's good for a season. And then it messes you up. And then it messes you up. And then it hurts you. There's a perceived benefit immediately. For example, if you want to smoke, and wherever you're a Christian, you know, hey, I'm a Christian, I can, you know, I can do what I want to do. Okay, well, here's the, here's the idea. If you're, if you're smoking, there is an immediate benefit, perceived benefit. And maybe you smoke and you're like, oh, it just helps chill me out, just relaxes me at the end of the day. I'm just like, oh. right? There's a perceived immediate benefit. The payoff then is years later 
when the doctor comes to you and tells you about your lungs. Or, or, or maybe, maybe, maybe that's too personal. Uh, maybe you are the customer of the year at the Golden Corral. Is that better? Maybe you've got a punch card. Maybe you just got a swipe card. And that's you. And you love it there, right? Like you, you're just like, I love, the, the, I love the banana pudding. It's got the little wafers and I could eat it every day. In fact, I do, right? So maybe that's you. And it's all well and good. It tastes so good. It feel, fills a void in you. I understand. I get that. The problem is, the payoff is, years later, the doctor comes to you and talks about your heart. Right? And, and, and so there's a perceived benefit immediately, but then it's hard to break. Understand what helps us to know how to break a habit is this. It's how to also make a habit. Last week we talked about this. We talked about the habit loop. You remember this? There's a trigger, there's an action, there's a reward. There's a trigger, there's an action, there's a reward. And so in order for the trigger, the action, and the reward, the good habit to be established, we have to make it easy. I'm sorry, we have to make it obvious, and we have to make it easy. You guys remember this from last week? Make it obvious and easy. So in order to break a bad habit, we need to make it obvious, but we need to make it very, 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 very hard. We need to make it very, very difficult. We make it difficult to do. I love the way that Solomon phrases it in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14. He says this, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. And then he says in verse 15, rather, avoid it. Don't go on it. Turn away from it. Pass it on. Pass it on. How do we remove or how do we break a bad habit? Well, we're gonna do we're gonna try to do this. We're going to try and remove the trigger and interrupt the action. Look at your neighbor and say, remove the trigger. Look at your other neighbor and say, interrupt the action. Yeah, whatever it is that triggers you in the wrong direction, we're gonna try to remove that trigger completely and we're gonna try to interrupt the action. Let's talk for a moment about triggers because we can all be triggered into a bad habit or an unhealthy, unhelpful action by all sorts of things, but they normally land in this five, these five places. You ready? Number one, place, time, mood, moment, or people. Let's all say that together. Place, time, mood, moment, people. Now, I, this is honestly the truth. All these, these five things trigger us towards an action. Normally, they trigger us towards a bad habit. I mean, let's just talk about this. Uh, place and time. I'll show you what I mean. Um, there's a place and a time that trigger us uh, towards bad habits. If not... Every place and every time would be okay for our bad habits. Like, like there's a time and place for everything, even our bad habits. Like, uh, let me give you, like, if you belong to a gym in which you take Arby's to, you wouldn't do that because there's not, that's not the place or the time. And if that's not the place or the time, why would you feel comfortable just doing that on your own? Do you see what I'm saying? Um, like, you, you, like you wouldn't light up and smoke weed in the middle of church. And if you are, we should probably have a conversation about your spiritual growth because I don't think anybody really kind of like helped you with that, okay? Um, but, but, but we might not feel bad about that. Like I'm just trying to be real here because like, that takes place and we don't feel bad about it elsewhere, right? Why is that? Why, why is that a problem? Why, do we, why are we okay with bad habits in some places but not in other places? Um, we might not do those things here, but we'll do them around other people. 
Like, you probably don't binge watch pornography when you're with your Sea Life group. Oh, man, that, every time we talk about that, it gets really quiet. But we do that on our own time. And that's a bad habit that we can't break. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Time, time is a trigger. Place is a trigger. See, I don't know what, what, like, maybe the place is when you go out with a bunch of your friends and you go out with a bunch of guy friends and a bunch of dudes and you get drunk because you went to the game. That's a place. And so you going out with those guys to that place triggers a habit that says, I'm about to get drunk. Do you see what I'm saying? You get into a fight with your spouse and you go to bed angry and it triggers place, mood, moment, time, a response to look at things that you shouldn't. You do that enough and you fall into a bad habit. Is this making sense? And we think we're in control, but we are not. And James says, get that out of here. Break that down. Place, time, mood, moment, or people. It's interesting. David in the Old Testament made a horrible mistake. We know this about Bathsheba. And you can summarize it like by saying this, wrong place, wrong time. David. Listen, David genuinely loved God. David wasn't necessarily like a bad dude. Scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart. This is the same David that slayed the giant, picked up his head, Gave glory to God. That same David committed adultery with Bathsheba, fell in love with her, and then had her husband murdered. Wrong place, wrong time. See, you might be a person who continues to fall into the same ruts, and I want you to know that you can genuinely love God, but if you are, listen now, listen, if you are in the wrong place at the wrong time, you, are, you might find yourself doing something that you never wanted to do. Beginning of the story of David, you can read it with your Sea Life group. It says this, it says, uh, in the springtime when kings go off to war, David stayed back at the palace. David wasn't where he was supposed to be. And because he wasn't where he was supposed to be, he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Goes up on the top of his roof, sees his neighbor's wife taking a bath, lusts after her, goes to her, murders her husband. And what happened was he did something he never thought he would do, and it ended up costing him something more than he ever thought that he would have to pay. And there's certain moments when something happens and then there's a moment that you end up doing the very thing you don't want to do. Something happens in that moment and it triggers you. you. You get in a fight with your husband. I don't know what these things are. You get in a fight with your husband and then you, you call your three girlfriends and have a husband bashing party. That's a habit, right? Or, or, or maybe you go to a party and because you go to the party, you, you drink too much like you did last time, like you did the time before, like you did this time. It's a moment that triggers you to do something wrong. Maybe, maybe you're like me. I'm going to be super honest. I'm not psyched to talk about this, okay? Maybe you're like me. I was raised in this way. When something good happens, we celebrate. And celebration means food. And so whenever I have a great moment, I'm like, man, let's go eat food. But then likewise, when I have a bad day, I'm like, oh, man, let's just go get some food. Or if I'm stressed out, I'm like, I just need to go eat some food. Or if I'm bored, I'm like, I'm bored. Might as well eat food. And so that becomes a habit that is triggered by emotions. It's triggered by moments. 
is triggered by people, place, or things. Are you following, following me with this? So it is not just a moment of, well, love Jesus more and try harder. No. No. We have to be strategic. We have to be intentional. You want to look for the moments that might trigger you, and we're going to distance ourselves from that time, the place, the mood, and the moment. And also, i got to say this. This is going to hurt your feelings or somebody's feelings, but I'm going to risk it, okay? Honestly, this is one of the biggest ones, people. The people you surround yourself can be the biggest trigger towards good habits or bad habits in your life. And it doesn't take any study to show or prove that you become like the people you keep company with. You will become like the people you continue to be around. Proverbs 13, 20 says it like this. Whoever walks with wise, with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. We become, listen to me now, listen to me now. You think you're bigger than this point, but you're not. You think you know better than scripture on this point, but you don't. The people that you run around with, you will become like. You will become just like them. If I could tell you about my closest friends, honestly, they're great gifts to me. I'm not gonna lie. If you were to take, look at my five closest friends, I know it's weird, pastors having friends, it's an anomaly, I get it, but I have friends. Um, and here's the thing about my friends, they all love Jesus. They're all significantly involved in church. They're all professionals that are succeeding in their lives in some area. They all live beneath their means financially. They're all incredibly generous. They have good families and godly wives and children that they love and train. And I gotta tell you, why am I telling you? I'm telling you that because it makes it easier for me to be a good dad when the people I spend the closest time with are better dads than me. It makes it easier for me to say, I probably should put that in the bank and not spend it on 14,000 starbursts, right? Well, I don't know what you struggle with buying, but okay. Um, I should probably save up for retirement. I should probably, because the people that I'm involved with and around, that's what they're doing. And so I strategically and intentionally get into relationships, not what everybody else does, proximity. Have you ever noticed that about adults? We are, we are friends with people simply because of proximity. Who's your closest friend? Uh, that guy? <laughs> Why? Well, he's like a yard away from me. I just ended up talking to him. Come on. We have to be intentional. If you hang around fools, Scripture says you will become foolish. Boy, I'm telling you, this is so important. Imagine if my five closest friends were all employed all 43-year-old men addicted to video games or had other addiction problems in their lives. And every Friday night, they invited me to go to casinos where we go out and smoke, get hammered. Imagine how much more difficult it would be for me to live a God-honoring life if, if, if that was the consistent input in my life. And that's why I say all the time, it's almost impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. And yet so many of us think we're above this or better than this. And you know what we pull? We pull the whole like, well, I thought I was supposed to reach lost people. You are. You are. You're supposed to be the light of the world. You're supposed to be a city on a hill. You're supposed to be a salt of the earth. But even scripture tells us, what good is salt if it has lost its saltiness? It is not good for anything but to be thrown out into the road and trampled under the foot of men and beasts. 
And for many of us, you think you're out there being salty. You've lost all your flavor. You've lost all your credibility because you're not any different than the people you're spending time with. And you think, oh, this is missional. No, it's not. No, it's not. Well, it is. They've just been missionaries to you. Ooh, that was good, and I didn't even have that in my notes. If I could talk to some of you right now real quick, we're going to end with this. If I could talk to some of you right now, just very specifically, I would say this. Some of you walked in here today with a habit so deep, a habit so dark, maybe even so humiliating, that you feel like there's no way God could ever take it away. Like if I can be real right now, in this moment as we talk, you can't even imagine your life without that habit. Right? I know. But I want you to think about the type of person that you are going to become. How would that habit change who you are 10 years from now? Five years from now? Two years from now? Bad company corrupts good behavior. Don't be misled. I don't want you to be in a place, God doesn't want you to be in a place where you're like this one little habit. I didn't know it would cost me this much. If I could go back in time, I would do it over. That's called regret. And we all have it in some way, shape, or form. We all have things that we wish we could go back and do over, don't we? And it has to do with our actions, our inability to act or our ability to act in the wrong way. And we say, I wish I could go back. I wish I could do that different. Why? Why? Because I would have done things differently. Right now, think about what you're doing. Think about the actions that you're taking. I know it's not ruining your life all at one time, but one small bad decision, bad habit over time will ruin your life, will break your marriage, will distance your children, will hurt your relationship with the Father. What you do matters. What you do right now matters. I think it's interesting because we look at this stuff and we're like, Travis, I'm going to be honest. I feel so weak. I say I'm going to do something and then I don't. I say I'm going to break something and then I can't. I say I'm going to stop and I don't. I feel so weak. But that's the good news. Because in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. In your weakness, God's glory is made known. See, here's the thing about our Father. He knows that you're broken. He knows that you are weak. And he chooses to work through us and in us anyway. It's not by your strength that you stop these things. It's by the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit who has been placed inside of you. He's been put inside of you. He lives inside of you. Can I just remind you right now, the living God moves and works and lives and breathes and ushers himself through you and for you and for your own good. He does not wish that you would remain in sin. He does not wish that you would be caught up in bondage. Can I just remind you that the chains that are still shackling you are chains you're choosing to hold on to? 
Jesus Christ came to set you free, and yet we still shackle ourselves to death. God has set you free from it. He believes in you more than you believe in yourself. So if you say, I am weak, good, because now you can acknowledge that he is strong. And in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. In your fear, his freedom is made known. In your doubt, his hope comes and rises to the occasion. In your failure, his mercy is given. There is no distance too far from you for you to run from the mighty hand of God. His mercy is new every day. I gotta tell you, I'm so thankful that his mercy is new every day because I think that I daily use it up. Like there's some type of limit to the grace of God. His grace is limitless. And I didn't do anything to earn his love in this first place. And I'm not gonna do anything to hold on to or keep his love here. It's all dependent on him and his grace and his mercy. And if I didn't do anything to earn it, how could I even pretend that I'm doing anything to keep it? He just loves me ridiculously. He loves me. He loves me. And he loves you. Regardless of what you've done, where you've come from and who you did it with. He loves you. He loves you. And based on who God wants you to become, what one habit do you need to break today? Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.